The following is a reading from the book, Heaven on Earth, by Thomas Brooks. That a man may have true grace who has no assurance of the love and favor of God, or of the remission of his sins and salvation of his soul. A man may be truly holy and yet not have assurance that he shall be eternally happy. A man may be God's and yet he not know it. His estate may be good and yet he does not see it. He may be in a safe condition when he is not in a comfortable condition. All may be well with him in the court of glory when he would give a thousand worlds that all were but well in the court of conscience. The blind man in the gospel called his faith unbelief. The Canaanite woman showed much love, wisdom, zeal, humility, and faith. Yes, such strength of faith as to make Christ admire her and yield to her grace her and gratify her, and yet she had no assurance that we read of. Matthew fifteen twenty two to 29. So Paul, speaking of the belief in Ephesians, says, In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians 1, verse 13. First, they heard the word, and then secondly, they believed, and then thirdly, they were sealed. That is fully assured of a heavenly inheritance, of a purchased possession. So First John 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So Isaiah 50, verse 10, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So Micah 7, verses 8 and 9, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Asaph was a very holy man, a man eminent in grace, and yet he was without assurance, as may be seen at large in Psalm 77. Heman, doubtless, was a very precious soul, and yet from his youth up, he was even distracted with terror, Psalm 88. There are thousands of Christians who are in a state of grace and shall be saved who lack assurance and the proper effects of it. It is high joy, pure comfort, glorious peace and vehement longings after the coming of Christ. Isaiah 8, verse 17. Assurance is requisite to the well-being of a Christian, but not to the being in a state of grace. It is requisite to the consolation of a Christian, but not to the salvation of a Christian. It is requisite to the well-being of grace, but not to the mere being of grace. Though a man cannot be saved without faith, yet he may be saved without assurance. God has in many places of the scripture declared that without faith there is no salvation. But God has not in any one place of the scripture declared that without assurance there is no salvation. God never said, except you be assured, I will pardon you. I will never pardon you, except you are assured. I will save you. This is language God never spoke, and why then should men speak it? A man must first be saved before he can be assured of his salvation, for he cannot be assured of that which is not. 
And a man must have a saving grace before he can be saved, for he cannot be saved by that which he has not. Again, a man must be engrafted into Christ before he can be assured of forgiveness or salvation. But this he cannot be before he has faith. Therefore, there may be grace where there is no assurance. Christ went to heaven in a cloud, and the angel went up to heaven in the smoke and flame of the sacrifice. And so I doubt not, but many precious souls ascend to heaven in clouds and darkness. Acts 1 verse 9, Judges 13 verse 20. Now a man may have grace and yet lack assurance, and this may arise from these causes. First, from his caviling spirit, and from his siding with the old man against the new, with the flesh against the spirit, with corruption against grace, with the house of Saul against the house of David, with the work of Satan against the work of God. Sin is Satan's work, grace and holiness are God's work. Yet such is the weakness, yes, madness of many poor souls, that they will fall in and side with Satan's work, rather than with God's against their own souls. Cease caviling, you weak soul, and say, O Lord, forgive what I have been, correct what I am, and direct what I shall be. Ah, Christians, will you condemn that judge for injustice and unrighteousness, who shall open his ears to the complaints of the plaintiff, but stop his ears against the answers of the defendant? And will you not condemn yourselves for that you do with both ears hear what sin and Satan has to say against the soul, but have not one ear open to hear with the soul, what grace, what the new man, what the noble part of man, what the regenerate man can say for the justification, satisfaction, and consolation of the soul. Just before John Prostoborsky was laid on the rack, he, with a heroic indignation, cut out his tongue and cast it away. Being demanded why he did so, set down his answer with a quill on the wall, I did it because I would not be brought by any tortures to say anything that is false. Ah, caviling souls, I had almost said that you were better cut out your tongues and allow them to be caviling against the grace of God, the image of God, which is stamped upon you. Let me tell you, O you caviling soul, that it is your wisdom and your duty to remember that command of God which prohibits you from bearing false witness against your neighbor. That same command enjoins you not to bear false witness against the work of grace upon your own heart against the precious and glorious things that God has done for your soul. And you should make as much conscience of bearing false witness against anything that the Lord has wrought in you and for you, as you do make conscience of bearing false witness against your neighbor. It cannot but be sad with a soul, but be night with a soul, when it makes much conscience of the one and no conscience of the other. Many heathen have been so loving and faithful one to another that they would rather die than that they would bear false witness one against another. How dare you then, caviling souls, bear false witness against your own souls and the gracious work of the Lord upon them? If this is not the way to keep off assurance and keep the soul in darkness, yes, in a hell, I know nothing. In the second place, a man may have grace and yet lack assurance, which may arise in from the exceeding littleness and weakness of his grace. Matthew 14, verses 30 and 31. Mark 9, verse 24. A little candle yields but a little light, and a little grace yields but a little evidence. 
Great measures of grace carry with them great and clear evidences, but little measures of grace carry with them but little evidence. Some stars are so small that they are scarce discernible. Just so, some saints' graces are so small that they can hardly see their graces to be graces. A little fire will yield but a little heat. A little grace will yield but a little comfort, a little evidence. A little grace will yield a man a heaven hereafter, but it is a great deal of grace that must yield us a heaven here. A little stock will bring in but a little profit. A little grace will bring in but a little peace. A little jewel yields but a little luster. No more does a little grace. This is the reason why Christians who have but a little grace have but a little of the shine and luster of assurance. They have but little spiritual joy and comfort. Yet that the spirits of weak Christians may not utterly faint, let me give them this hint, namely, that the weakest Christian is as much justified, as much pardoned, as much adopted, and as much united to Christ as the strongest Christian. The weakest Christian has as much interest in propriety in Christ as the highest and noblest Christian who breathes. Though he cannot make so much advantage and improvement of his interest and propriety as a strong Christian who has a greater degree of grace. The babe in the cradle has as much propriety in the father as he who has grown up to ripe years, though he cannot make such improvement of it as the other. A child's hand may receive a pearl as well as the hand of a giant. Just so may a weak faith receive Christ as well as the strong faith. Aram observes upon the Beatitudes that there are many of the promises made to weak grace, Matthew 5, 3, 4, and 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Weak saints, remember this. The promise is a ring of gold, and Christ is a precious dry stone in that ring. And upon that stone must you rest as you would have grace to thrive and your souls to be safe and happy. Weak souls, remember this, as Joseph sent chariots to bring his father and his brethren to him, Genesis 45, so God would have your weak graces to be his chariots to bring you to himself, who is the nourisher, strengthener, and increaser of grace. He who makes his graces to be servants and handmaids to convey him to Christ, the fountain of grace, he shall find the greatest sweetness in grace and the greatest increase of grace. Thirdly, a man may have true grace and yet lack assurance, and this may arise from the resurrection of old sins. Ah, when those sins which were long since committed and long since lamented and long since loathed and long since crucified, when those old sins, which has cost a soul many prayers and many tears, and many sighs and many groans and many complaints, when those sins which have been long buried shall be again revived and meet the soul and stare upon the soul and say to the soul, We are yours, and we will follow you. We are yours, and we will haunt you. Ah, how will this cause a man's countenance to be changed, his thoughts to be troubled, his joints to be loosed, and his heart to be amazed? David and Job, meeting with the sins of their youth, long after they were lamented and pardoned, makes their hearts startle and tremble. Psalm 25, verse 7. Job 13, verse 26. Upon the new risings of old sins, the soul begins to question all and thus to expostulate the case. 
Surely my estate is not good. My pardon is not sealed. If it is, why are these sins revived and remembered? Has not God engaged himself in the promises of grace, that those sins which are pardoned shall never be remembered? Isaiah 43, verse 25. Jeremiah 31, verse 34. And surely if these sins are not pardoned, I have reason to fear that others are not pardoned. And if my sins be not pardoned, how shall I escape being destroyed? Surely my repentance was not sound. My sorrow was not sincere. The blow, the wound I gave sin, was not mortal. If it was sincere, how does it come to pass that it now meets me like an armed enemy? Thus these new risings of old sins keeps many a man's soul and assurance asunder. Fourthly, a man may have grace and yet lack assurance, and this may arise from his falling short of that maturity which the word requires, and that other saints have attained too. Ah, says such a soul, surely I have no grace. Oh, how short do I fall of such and such righteous rules, and of such and such precious Christians. Ah, how clear are they in their light. How strong are they in their love. How high are they in their attainments. How are their hearts filled with grace and their lives with holiness. All their emotions towards God and towards man speak out grace. Grace. They pray indeed like saints and live indeed like angels. Now many poor souls, comparing themselves with the perfect rule of righteousness found in Scripture, and with those who are in the highest forms in Christ's school, and who are the noblest and choicest patterns for purity and sanctity, and finding such a vast disproportion between their hearts and the rule, between their actions and lives and the actions and lives of others, they are apt to sit down saddened and discouraged. Remember this, though your consolation depends upon degrees of grace, yet your salvation depends upon the truth of grace. Suetonius reports of Julius Caesar that seeing Alexander's statue, he fetched a deep sigh because he at that age had done so little. Just so, many precious souls sit down sighing and weeping that they have lived so long and done so little for God and for their own internal and eternal good. This wounds and sinks their spirits, that they are so unlike to those in grace whom they desire to be likened in glory, and that they are so far below such and such spiritual people whom they are so far above in temporals. Fifthly, a man may have true grace and yet lack assurance, and this may arise from that smoke and clouds, those fears and doubts which corruption raises in the soul, just so that the soul cannot see those excellent graces which otherwise might be discerned. Though there may be many precious gems and jewels in the house, yet the smoke may hinder a man from seeing them sparkle and shine. So there may be many precious graces in the souls of saints, yet corruption may raise such a dust such a smoke in the soul, that the soul is not able to see them in the beauty and glory. The well of water was near Hagar, but she saw it not until her eyes were opened by the Lord. So grace is near the soul, yes, in the soul sometimes, and yet the soul does not see it until God opens the eyes and shows it. The Lord was in this place, says Jacob, and I knew it not. Genesis twenty-eight sixteen. So many a precious soul may say, Grace is in my heart, and I knew it not. I saw it not. 
Blessed William Bradford, in one of his epistles, says thus, O Lord, I think I feel it so with me, sometimes as if there were no difference between my heart and the heart of the wicked. My mind is as blind as theirs, my spirit is stout, stubborn, and rebellious as theirs, and my thoughts as confused as theirs, and my affections as disordered as theirs, and my service is as formal as theirs, and so on. Ah, Christians, have not many of your souls found it so? Surely, yes. No wonder, then, that though you have grace, yet you have not seen it sparkling and shining in your souls, as some have thought that their fields have had no corn, because they have been so full of weeds, and that their heap has no wheat, because nothing has appeared but chaff, and that their pile has no gold, because it has been covered with much dross. So some have thought that their hearts have been void of grace because they have been so full of fears and doubts. Peter at one time believes and walks, at another time he doubts and sinks. Matthew 14, verse 30. Abraham believes and offers up Isaac at one time. He fears and falls at another time. Say you are my sister, lest they kill me. Genesis 20, verse 2. So David and Job, they had their shufflings, tremblings, fainting, shakings, and questionings. Psalm 116, verse 11. Psalm 31, verse 22. It is not always high water with saints. Sometimes they are reduced to a very low ebb. The best of saints are like the ark, tossed up and down with waves, with fears and doubts. And so it will be until they are quite in the bosom of Christ. Lastly, a man may have grace and yet not see it, yet not know it, and this may arise from his non-searching, his non-examining, his non-ransacking of his own soul. There is gold in the mine, and men may find it if they would but dig and search diligently after it. Worthless daisies grow in sight upon the surface of the earth, but the precious and richest rarities are hidden within the bowels of the earth. You are wise and know how to apply it. There is grace in the heart, and you might see it if you would but take the candle of the Lord and look narrowly after it. Look, as many a man upon a diligent search may find his temporal estate to be better than he fears, so many choice souls upon a diligent search may find their spiritual estate to be far better than they conceived or judged it to be. Therefore, souls, cease from complaining. Cease from rash judging and dooming of yourselves to hell. And be diligent in inquiring what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing in you and for you. Compare the books together. Compare his working upon you and others together. What? Have you no light, no love, no longings, no hungerings, no thirstings after God? What have you no sighing, no complaining, no mourning under the sense of sin and under the lack of divine favor? Surely if you search, you will find some of these things, and if you do, prize them as jewels that are more worth than a world. God will not despise the day of small things, Zechariah 4, verse 10. And will you? Will you, dare you, say that that is little which is more worth than heaven? The least spark of grace shall at last be turned into a crown of glory. Well, remember this, that is the least grace, if true and sincere, is sufficient to salvation, so the sense of the least grace should be sufficient to your consolation.